All episodes of Let the Music Play podcast can be found in both iTunes and at AshtonGustafson.com. If you have enjoyed these conversations and they have brought joy, peace, and resilience to your life, we ask that you would go to iTunes and leave a review. Our hope is to share these voices and conversations with as many people as we can. And by leaving a review, you will be helping this light make its way into the world. Sister Joan Chittister has beautifully been a conduit for the message of faith, hope, and love for over 60 years. Following the heritage and order of St. Benedict, Sister Joan has become one of today's leading spiritual voices, bringing her energy and fiery spirit into everything she does. It's in this voice that builds bridges across all religions that Sister Joan joins us at Let the Music Play podcast as we discuss discovering the presence of the divine under our very feet and how we can honor and celebrate the humanity of everyone whose path we intersect. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Well, I do believe that your passion is the signal light towards your happiness. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it all, the one thing only, but you've got to do what you're really good at doing, what you love to do, some part of your life. I have to hope, Ashton, that when you got up this morning, you said to yourself, I love this interviewing people. So, um, talk to me about, uh, many, many years ago, at the age of 16, you made this decision to join, uh, the Benedictine sisters. Um, what, what was that like at age 16? Well, uh, I think the very first thing we have to understand is that I was 16, what, in 1952, and it was a different world then, Ashton. People, people didn't take uh, till the age of 30 to be adults. Uh, right. We were still very, very close to the crossover point between the agricultural and the industrial society. Um, we were coming out of World War II, not going into it at that time. And though there were new possibilities, um, as a matter of fact, it, it was a pretty stable, um, industrialized society with an agrarian sense of family, city, and state. Well. The point of that is that at the age of 16, you were graduating from high school at 18, 17 or 18. And by that time, you know, many, many of my classmates were married the September after they graduated. Wow. So when you look at that, there wasn't that much difference between my life decision and the life decision that many others in that same culture and society would be making. Do you see what I'm saying there? Absolutely, absolutely. So I went at 16 because, quite frankly, I felt that I had been waiting to go since I was three. Wow. And that's actually true. I mean, um, I, I, I saw sisters the very first time at my young father's funeral. My father died when he was 25. My mother was a 23-year-old widow with a baby about two and a half going on and despite her family's uh, disapproval, she insisted that I also be taken to the funeral parlor. 
as she put it, are you mad when they said, you can't take that baby to a funeral parlor? And she said, are you out of your mind? What am I, what is she supposed to think that her daddy didn't come home? So at the funeral parlor, I saw what, what frankly, to a little girl were very strange things. Down at the bottom of the casket were two of the strangest looking people. I didn't know if they were male or female that I'd ever seen. And these were Sisters of Mercy in what we would call now the Old Mercy Habit, a, a, a European dress from 100 or 200 or 400 years before. And when I asked my mother, what are those? She said to me, those are very good friends of daddies and of God's, and they will stay here tonight. And when God comes for daddy's soul, they will say, now this is Joan's daddy, and he was a very good daddy. Take him straight to God. That stuck, Ashton. Wow. I was never able to forget that little speech. Wow. And I thought to myself, it must be wonderful. It must be wonderful to, to give souls uh, to God. And so I started my little career of following nuns up and down streets, uh, crossing roads simply to be able to say, good morning, sister, hi, sister, because they always talk back. Then I went to a Catholic school all my life, for which I have to say quite publicly, I have no horror stories. These sisters, I loved these sisters. They were kind, they were funny, they were helpful, they were very good to one another. And I looked at them, and as the years went by, Ashton, more than or just as much as my, my fascination with them as different kind of people and my respect for them as, as great teachers, I also began to see them as very strong um, womanly models. Mm -hmm. They and my mother became my model. Uh, they, they lived in their own houses. Uh, they built their own schools and hospitals. Uh, they did things that other women did not do. They had wonderful educations and they spent it on us kids. Uh, they, they occupied a lot of light in my mind and hmm. my soul. So, and so when you say, what was it like? It was great. Wow. So that was, that was this deep, deep, like that's, that's amazing awareness you had at such a young age. Well, when I look back now, I, I think that's probably true, at least at one level. But, but again, remember, we grew up faster mm. than, than uh, society grows up today because they know, you see, that they have more time to grow up. When I was, when I was a kid, 60 was old. Wow, wow. Uh, we said anybody who was 60, that was yeah. very, very old. And wow. grandparents commonly died in wow. their 60s, early 70s. That's not true now. And so people have much longer to be young, and they have much longer also to be fruitful and productive adults. Yeah. So let me ask you this. In, in, in the day and age of constant change, what have you experienced to remain true over the years uh, of serving with your fellow sisters? Like what, what is well, just like it was day one? Well, it was, for us, you see, we have a long 1,500-year uh, history 
we have a tradition that goes back uh, to the to the year 520. Wow. Uh, Benedictinism has never never disappeared in all of these centuries. It has it has moved. It has transitioned. It has evolved from one century to another, all the way from the Roman Empire through uh, feudalism, the rise and fall of national states, uh, the end of, of, of the monarchy, and the beginning of the modern period. So for us, uh, that long trail of history uh, gives you a great sense of, of past, but also of future. And what we pass on is not what what um, it, it's it's not the superficially changeable and changeless. Uh, we we we're perfectly comfortable changing to meet the uh, the society of the time. Right. But what is changeless for us is two things: the gospel and the rule of Benedict. Mm. And those that charism, that gift that is Benedictinism, which is community and and uh, stability in a region and support for one another and giving to the people around us, helping others build their communities up. That, those are the essentials for us, Ashton. Everything comes off of that. Yeah. So I, you know, I've been familiar my amateur study into uh, Ignatian spirituality of the Jesuits, following, uh-huh. um, and then uh, some following of Saint Francis with the Franciscans. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm right. not so familiar um, with those guiding values that Benedict yeah. set for the order. And and what were those again? You you mentioned you mentioned them briefly, but they they sounded to sure. be very beautiful. I, our charism is community and uh, contemplation, uh, prayer, stability in a region. For instance, when um, if Lake Erie um, is poisoned, then Erie, the city of Erie, is going to die because so much of our economy is built around the lake, right? Right, right. Therefore... It, the the preserving the lake is as important to the Erie Benedictines as simply living in their monastery. In fact, about 30 years ago now, my community was one of four groups, uh, the uh, some local fishermen, uh, I think the Sierra Club, uh, and uh, one other group and ourselves who sued the state of Pennsylvania for depositing affluence from the various industries into the lake that was killing it. Hmm. That's when they were pronouncing Lake Erie dead. And the courts the courts found in our favor it reversed the the disintegration of the lake and today uh, uh, most of the commercial fish in in, uh, in the five great lakes come out of Erie. Wow. So wow. that that comes out of Benedictine stability. You, you bloom where you're planted. That's a good word. You, you are responsible, as responsible for this city and, and these crops and those grapes that we grow as any, as any of the farmers in the region. So community, contemplation, uh, stability, uh, and, and ministry, meaning 
serving the area in which you live and, and their needs. Those are very, very basic things to a Benedictine. And uh, they never change. Yeah. They never change. A very, a very active calling to the people that, are, that you're near. That's right. Yeah. Stewardship, for instance, that's been, that's been part of the Benedictine charism uh, since the Middle Ages. Uh, Benedictines in Europe, when they were given land, chose the very poorest land in the area. Why? So they could reclaim it. That's stewardship. Wow. It's taking care of. There's a line. There's a line in our rule from the sixth century that says, uh, "All things in the monastery must be treated like the vessels of the altar." Wow. That's steward. Wow. That's taking care of everything. So when you see, when you when you run into a Benedictine today, you're running into the ecological movement head on. Peace. Is, a, is part of the Benedictine charism. That's why the Benedictines have been so active in this whole uh, nuclear era about the place of, of uh, weaponry and guns and, 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 and the whole notion of whether or not in this day and age there really is such a thing as a just war when it's absolutely impossible now to to uh, to tell a combatant from a non-combatant. Mm. So what do you do? Is are we now in the era of universal carpet bombing? It sounds like it in Syria, at least in places. That has got to be the deepest immorality that we can imagine as one human being against another. Yeah. So community contemplation, stability, ministry, stewardship, and peace. That's the Benedictine charism. That's what forms us all, and that's what we devote our lives to. Wow. You know, if I had to describe you to somebody, I would say she's one that celebrates humanity. Um, you, you beautifully... Um, it's like this idea of we don't export our our benevolence. It's just right here in front of us, right? Uh, it's in the person that's, that's as closest to you is where your good and necessary work is. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That, that's the, where you are, the land you're standing on, you are responsible for. Yeah, that's a good and word. cannot imagine any human being that uh, that can dispute that. Yeah. So I want to read uh, an excerpt from one of your books, Light in the Darkness, um, yes, because right. it, it's this beautiful celebration of humanity. Um, and you quote, yeah. you quote Walt Whitman here, and you say, I celebrate myself, the, Walt, uh, the poet Walt Whitman wrote. The thought is so delicious, it is almost yeah. obscene. Imagine yeah. the joy that would come with celebrating the self our achievements, our experiences, our existence. Imagine what it would be like to look into the mirror and say, as God taught us, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, you hit it out of the park with that. Um, so in a, in a world that will immediately start with what's wrong with someone and, and the failure story of someone, um, this call back to original blessing, original innocence, um, yeah. what does it mean to you when you start thinking of those Whitman words of I celebrate myself and as God taught us to say, have that mirror moment of that's good? Well, I think what it does... You know, we've got a lot of, of uh, unhappy people 
who are unhappy because somehow or other they're unhappy with themselves. Somebody has told them they're not enough. Uh, somebody has told them they're not interested in them. Somebody has told them you don't make the cut. Now, when that, when that kind of thing strikes the heart of a human being, that heart is soured a bit just by the tip of that spear. I'm not good enough. There's not enough of me that's whole. Nobody wants me. Nobody needs me. Now, if you can turn that coin over and put a new face on the other side of that coin, which is the endless, immeasurable value of human life, mine, now I have something to give, don't I, Ashton? Well, yeah. Now I have a reason to get up in the morning. Now I'm not a poison, toxic human being. I am a thing of God on my way to God with the best in me. And I will leave behind me a trail of that goodness because that's why I'm here to begin with. That, and therefore, when I look in the mirror, I know what God is saying to me. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Oh, man. So so instead of approaching, um, I, I guess the, the gospel is this great announcement of the divine indwelling. And, and, and I guess where you're going at here is, you know, approaching humans as that we are bad and in need of fixing or approaching humans that we are all yeah. universally beautiful and have a massive possibility yeah. for flourishing. That's it. We're, we are the seed. Each of us is a special seed in this garden of life. And like any seed that we put in the ground, what we want for it is to come to its fullness. That's the only reason we're all here. Hmm. And that fullness and that wholeness and that beauty and that goodness is in every single one of those seeds. Now, when that seed goes wrong, when that flower doesn't flourish, when those leaves aren't green, there's a reason. There's a reason. Mm -hmm. The ground has not been good for it. So we, we are part of the ground in which other people grow. It's what we, we tell them about themselves that will have a great deal to do with how they see themselves as well. We all learn as children who we are. And do you know how we learn? Not with a mirror. We learn by listening to the people in our lives who are significant to us. How many times have you heard, oh, this is Tom, he's our oldest, and he is just the most responsible child. I don't know what we'd do in this family without him. And here's, here's Mary Ann. She's our baby, and she's such a sweetheart. She's such a gracious child. Everybody's always going to love him. Oh, well, that guy over there, that's Zachary, and you never know what he's going to do. He's in trouble every minute of the day. Now, what did Zach just learn about himself? Yeah. What, what does he take to the mirror? We're all told who we are by significant others. That's why it's so important what we say to other people. We have a responsibility to help the flowers in front of us grow. Now, that doesn't mean be unreal. It means be, be honest, but be completely honest. Yeah. Say, this is Zach, and he has such wonderful energy. 
And that boy is going to move a mountain someday. Hmm. Now, in the meantime, he knows that he's got to not move everything in life. Now, yeah. he's got lesson, but he knows he's got power. And he knows his parents love it. And he knows he's lovable because of it. That's the act of God we're meant to bring to everybody we meet. Wow. I'm convinced of that. I'm just convinced. So I, I hear a beautiful tone of compassion there, that judgment and critique or compassion and possibility are two ways we can use our mouth to encourage those we've been entrusted with. Very well said. That's yeah. exactly right. We, we, uh, we're responsible for making a lot of the society around us in that one inch of ground on which we stand. Hmm. Let me ask you this. You've said this before. Um, what you and I believe about God colors everything we do in the name of God. Yeah, that's um, it. That's... Hold, hold my hand with that, because that's, that's a big, big, beautiful statement, and, and I would love to hear your insight there. Well, I think, I think we have inherited so many bad definitions uh, of, of, of God. You know, for instance, um, we grow up and, and things aren't going too well for us, and we're trying to get some help to get through it. And when we present the problem, somebody says to us, now, oh, now, you, you just have to offer that up because uh, God, that's part of God's plan for you. God has a plan. God made it. It's not in your control. You have to understand this is God's will for you. Well, well, what are we being told about ourselves then? We're being told that God has a plan that, that makes us a, a kind of collection of dancing puppets on God's string. Oh, we're free, yes, depending on the length of the string, but we aren't free to function beyond that, and only God knows where beyond that is. That's the theology of God the puppeteer. And that, the, the theology of God the puppeteer makes God responsible for everything in life. We're, we're just simply victims of life. This is God's plan for you. God wants you to go through this. So whatever happens, we're saying, whatever happens, happens because God wants whatever perverted, malignant thing that is. We make everything then, we say, is, is, it's always God's will. Mm. Are you telling me it's God's will that the poor are poor? God's will that women are routinely beaten or continually ignored? God's will that lives are ruined and children are being abandoned and villages are being bombed out every day? God's will that my life has been warped and broken by the problems I have with my mental health and my physical health and my fa the family and all of its troubles and divisions. That spirituality, in other words, this spirituality of God the puppeteer feeds the notion that God is responsible for evil, not we, not the human race, not I. It's this, it's, it's this whole notion that we are simply pawns, you and I, Ashton, we're just little pawns in God's great godless game. Or we get another theology. 
uh, of, of God that says uh, God is, uh, we, we develop a spirituality of God the magician. And that means, that kind of makes life an exercise in spiritual huckstering. Mm-hmm. All we need to do, we're told, is believe that being unhappy here will turn us into happy somewhere else. <laughs> Evacuation and, theology. Yeah, and that, that's not, that's not, that's spiritual masochism, yeah. Ashton. Yeah. That's not a spirituality of, of God the Creator. What we're saying is, if it hurts, it must be good for you. Mm. And so it, instead of changing what ought to be changed, we offer it up. I, 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 I saw a sign that a guy put on a fence one day. He said, dancing is bad, drinking is bad, hemorrhoids are good. <laughs> in other words, if, if, you can't, if you can't deal with it, that's God's loving gift to you. Oh. That, but you know what those things do, this, this theology of God the puppeteer and God the magician? It makes God a divine but irascible and unpredictable tease. Hmm. That's not God, Ashton. God is the ground of our being. God is the element of, of all life. And so God is the energy of our life. God is the goodness out of which all things, we included, are intended to grow. Instead, we get God the puppeteer, God the magician, God, the, the great divine Santa Claus, when what we need is God, our companion, our companion through life, the one who walks with us soul, shoulder to shoulder saying, it's all right, you handled that beautifully. I'm sorry about that mess you found yourself in financially, but I knew you'd get out of it, and I knew that it would be all right for you if you didn't have as much material stuff because you have a spiritual strength. This is God the beacon who shows us the way, God the energy who gives us what we need to make the rest of the journey. This is God who is life, our life, the composite of all of our lives. And that theology, that theology of of God present in me, around me, with me, and for me is a life in which I can walk with strength and faith and certainty because God is going to help me through it. Mm. God is going to be my strength, but God is not my Santa Claus. Wow. I just gave you a big high five through the through the microphone. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, let me, let, me, let me ask you, the, the, the Santa Claus God, the magician God, the puppeteer God, I think I've heard you say before that that's more of our own smallness yeah. that we project onto God. Sure. Talk, talk about that. Well, well, you know, somebody wrote once, uh, first God created us and then we created God. Right. And, and we have made ourselves a very puny, small little God. Yeah. We, 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 have made, we have made God our worst selves writ large. That, that's who we are. Hmm. And that, that's all we can imagine. It's so hard for us to imagine that this God is present in every beat of our hearts, in every idea in our mind, and, and always inside of us saying, 
I'd give that second thought if I were you, Ashton. Don't go there. <laughs> Ashton, that's a big leap, and why are you doing it? Ashton, you can do that. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Let's go. Let's do it. That God who is within us, in our souls and in our minds and in our hearts, is, is the one who's carrying us as we carry God throughout the world. So it's, I guess this has now morphed into a conversation about being co-creators. Um, oh, yeah. So t- tell it. me, yeah, so, so tell me what, then, then if it's not prearranged, right, if it's not that there's, there actually is possibility and mystery and, and beauty in yep. the midst of some chaos, what does it mean to be co-creators with God? didn't finish the world. God started it. (laughs) God blessed it us to finish. And you can see that sometimes we do it well, and by God, we're making a mess of it right now. We are letting our end down. We are taking creation and and treating it like thrown away bubblegum. It's ridiculous what we're doing. And we're doing it uh, because we have made another God. And that God is the almighty dollar. As if all Hmm. happiness, all possibility, all potential lay in money. And money alone, no matter how we get it. That that is destroying families. It's destroying lives. Uh, When I was a high school teacher, I can remember uh, my horror at finding out that some of my smartest kids were going into arenas they A, didn't want, and B, weren't good at. And why? Because some parent had said to them, what? You want to be a second-grade elementary art teacher? There's no money in that. Did I pay all this money to send you to college so that you could teach second grade? Well, maybe. Maybe. What if I happen to be happy? What if there? What if it's my best uh, gift? What if... That's where I'm most creative, and, and what if that's where the kids respond to me? No, no, I don't want to be a computer programmer. I can't even imagine sitting in a dark room writing codes all my life. I can't do that. But that's where the money is. That's where the money is, Daddy says. That's where you don't have to worry about your student loans. Well, that's, you know, going where... You know, Peter says, when you're young, you'll go where you want to go, and when you're old, they'll dress you up the way they want you to go and send you there and and just take you. He was telling us we could all be bound. We could all be bonded. We could all be made captive to something that seemed more powerful. The most powerful thing we have is what God has given us to love and to be able to do, and that's where our future is really meant to be. That's, our, that's the way we'll co-create the world. That's the way we'll, we'll complete our part of creation back here on these little two square inches that we began this conversation about. Yeah. So I guess that, that conversation leads to leaning into your passions and desires and, and that, that being the place where put your seatbelt on because the divine's got a place to take you. Um, how I guess for your own life, I, I would love to hear, like, at three years old, at 5, 10, 16, you knew passion, you knew desire, you, you wanted to be near that. Um, yeah, 
But I had two, and I struggled between them. I had, uh, somebody said to my mother once, uh, well, I guess Joan always wanted to be a nun, and so she must be happy. And my mother said, well, she did always want to be a nun, but, but she, there were uh, something else, a couple other things she wanted to be, too. And they said, really, what's that? And she said, well, she wanted to be a writer, and she wanted to be a comedian. And I figure she flipped the coin fell on its side because she seems to have managed to follow all three of those things. I love it. I, well, I do believe that your passion is, is the signal light towards your happiness. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it all, the one thing only, but you've got to do what you're really good at doing, what you love to do, some part of your life. I have to hope, Ashton, that when you got up this morning, you said to yourself, I love this interviewing people. I'm I'm really happy we started these podcasts. I think it's helping conversation in lots of places, and that makes me feel good. Why do you feel good, Ashton? Because I feel that I'm doing what I what I do well, what I like to do, and what what the world needs to have done. Good conversation. I hope you can say that. Because then I don't care if this is part time for you, and then you really your full time job is. a clerk in a bank, that's fine. If that's what's enabling you to do this, and this is what you love and do so well, obviously, then this is where you're supposed to be. It's it's to take away people's passions and their desires and substitute them for the drywall of the fad of the time where the money lies is, it's toxic. Yeah. It's into the soul. Wow. Um, so let's, I want to, I want to chat about questions because I think that, uh, just my following of you, what I've loved is that it's not so much that the answer is what you're curious about. You just want dialogue to happen. You just want question to begin. Um, and I think I've heard you say before that you, you kind of talk about questions being our seeds. Um, and in a world where everyone is demanding the answer, sometimes yeah, yeah. everyone's claiming that they're only the only ones with the answer. Why do you lean into questions of our time more than demanding we must all have the answer for everything? Yes. Oh, you got it. You, you understood <laughs> it very well. It's the ability to keep asking questions, which is, is the only uh, guarantee of, of our progress in any domain, in any domain whatsoever. It's knowing the questions that need to be asked right now and pursuing them that will get us where we need to go as a people, as a nation, uh, and certainly as individuals. I don't ever pretend that uh, to have answers, but I do know what some of the necessary questions are if we're all going to grow a little beyond uh, the, the fairy tales of another age. And that includes, it, it includes religious questions and personal questions, relationship questions, uh, and certainly ministry questions, what I'm supposed to do in life. Um, the, when we close our mind to questions, that's when we're, we're worried now about 
being a polarized nation. We are a polarized nation because either we refuse to answer with any kind of gentility a question that might be asked by somebody who we would label as being on the other side, or we refuse to listen to their answers. Until that conversation can take place, why do you want to do it this way? We have a perfect example. We have the perfect model in, uh, in, the, in the Congress of the United States. That Congress is meant to be a consensus-making body, a consensus-making body. Yes, we'll always and always have had dominant parties and less dominant parties. But the fact of the matter is they're supposed to all be there understanding, articulating, and representing the needs of a certain region or a certain kind of people or a certain class of people in the country. Now, what has intruded on that? All of a sudden, we have a Congress that is operating on what they now call the Haster Rule, and that is that no bill, no major bill, will be taken to the floor of the Congress unless the Speaker of the House, who is the, the leader of the dominant party, knows when, when, they, when they walk through the door that they already have enough votes in their own party to pass that particular bill. In other words, we call ourselves a two-party system, right. but we're not acting like a two-party system. Yeah. We have one party who, uh, by, by virtue of one extra vote in the Senate, two extra votes in the Senate, can inflict on the entire country without any consensus or, or participation by everybody that we send there to do that. That means that we're not listening to questions. We're not allowing good questions to be asked and so what are you left with? You're left with armed camps. Mm -hmm. And armed camps is not what our Constitution is supposed to be about. And, and I, I guess this is the carnage of dualistic thinking, um, of either or, good, bad, in, out, right, or wrong, until the questions begin. Um, I, that's the deal. Anytime you sit around a table of people that aren't like yourself and you start asking questions, you end up going, my gosh, we're all a lot more alike than we are different. That's right. Of course we are. And, and most of us, in most major issues, we want the same thing, yeah. but we would go about getting it differently. Right. That's all. Right. We right. would go about getting it. But if we, and if we prioritize those things, our priorities might even change. Yeah. I'd go that far, yeah. that people that come out of one region or, or one level of life, uh, they might see um, animal care as very important. And another group would say, oh, no, no, we've got to work on robots. That maybe we need to work on animal care and robots. Maybe, maybe the fact that we exclude questions and yeah. exclude concerns is at the real basis of our, of our uncertainty in this country today. Um, it's got to get better than that, Ashton. It has to be. Our Constitution is designed to make it better, but all of a sudden we've become camps mm -hmm. instead of representatives. Yeah. So I guess on the earthly plane, um, there's multiple paths to liberation, to peace, to um, yes. kindness, to joy. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. one of my words for 2017 has been transformation. Um, yeah. And I've been studying the word. I've been sitting with the word. I've been learning um, just the beauty of, of what that word offers. And I wanted to ask you, what, uh, there's a um, part of one of your books that I wanted to read. And it's about struggle, suffering. Uh, and yeah. I kind of want to yeah. talk about that uh, as the prelude to transformation. Um, so you write this, you said, no one comes out of struggle, out of suffering, the same kind of person they were when they went in. It's possible, of course, to come out worse than we were when we went into the throes of pain. Struggle can turn sour in us, of course, but it is equally possible if we choose to reflect on it, to come out stronger and wiser than we were when it began. What is not possible, however, is to stay the same. Um, so from, from 60 years of doing what you're doing, um, is, is suffering, is struggle, uh, and by that I mean is challenge, frustration, adversity, um, it, is that the threshold that we must cross to become transformed into more peaceful, patient, kind, and loving people? Well, let's put it this way. Let's start in the microcosm. Everybody struggles in life. Yeah. Everybody faces some sort of a struggle, right? Yeah. And, and that means, what is a struggle? It's something that interrupts life. It's not just an irritation or an inconvenience. It's something that changes life as we knew it or wanted it. When we get into a situation like that, we, we say, you hear people say, I have no hope. I, I really have no hope whatsoever. Uh, you get the idea that they think that hope is, is some, some sort of recipe to ward off struggle, when as a matter of fact, struggle is what gives us the right to hope. What do I mean by that? Struggle does transform us. Uh, let's say that struggle starts in change, big change in your life and mine. Your house burned down, you've lost your job, uh, and your wife is very sick. Now, every, every dimension of struggle brings a gift with it. In, in this, it, it, what, what's the gift of change? It is conversion. Mm. I, I accept the fact that my Monday is not going to be like Friday was that I have to build a new Monday. I have, to, I have to open my life to allowing it, allowing new things into it. I won't have the old wedding books. I won't have uh, the old Christmas tree ornaments. Uh, I may have even lost a child there. The fact of the matter is that if I open myself to the possibility of a creative moment in life, and I know that God is with me in this conversion, I am on my way to transformation, to becoming a new person and a new life. If, I, if, if one of the, the dimensions of struggle is isolation, I feel so alone by it. I feel, I feel so alone. There's nobody here to help me. There's nobody here who even wants to listen to me let alone give me any help at this time. What gift is being called for there? It means take your life in your own hands 
you're being called to independence, mm. to grow up into another level of maturity and a sense of confidence and the notion that God is with us. We're being called to independence of, of uh, a sense that this is also uh, creating me and a part of my life. I, the transformation that comes out of struggle is, if we embrace it, Ashton, always will be for more strength, more maturity, and more happiness. Always. Every struggle that we manage to, to, to deal with on each of these levels is carrying a gift that brings us closer to the fullness of life and what we're meant to be. Uh, it's when we stop in the middle mm -hmm. of the struggle yeah. and give up that creativity, God's creativity, is stopped by us. So you would say lean in. Don't remove yourself. Lean into this. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely lean in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I'm not being, I don't want to give the impression that um, any kind of, of happy pietist. I know pain. Yeah. I understand pain. I've had plenty of it in my own life. But I do know that until you embrace the present and you are able to say, this is it, it's not going to change, I can't do it alone, I have to find help, I feel very uh, what, what do I do about the darkness that I'm living in right now? I make an act of faith. What about my fear of the future? I, it's a call to courage. Meet a new friend. Uh, go to a new place. Uh, try to accept a new kind of job completely because the factory just burned down. Recognize that, that every little thing you do to reach out of your loneliness and your darkness and your fear and your isolation and your desire not to change is turning you into a more and more courageous person who can afford to hope in the future. Why? Because I now have proof behind me that I have, I have survived Everything up to this point, why not this too? That's hope. Yeah. That's yes. hope. And you can say that after 60 plus years of service, that that's, that's your battle cry. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Wow. And we go on. That there's the, 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 the future that's ahead of us is the God that's beckoning us on, just beckoning us, saying, come on, come on, you're doing well. Yeah. You're doing great. Just one more day. Just one more act of hope, just one more act of courage, just one more act of faith. Somebody's waiting for something in you. They're waiting for you to come out of this so that you can help them come out of wherever they are. I'm convinced that creation is about creation, about our recreating ourselves in the mind of God every every moment and decade of our lives. And what a great hope to know that it's that type of benevolent universe. I think we're just bombarded with so much fear and, and scare tactics oh, that for, for, you to, for you to say that and for all of our listeners to walk out their days with that hope, um, and really it's a return back to that original innocence. It's return back to that blessing, knowing that we are co-creators with the divine.
exactly right, Ashton. You really have it. You do. So uh, what's keeping you curious after all these years of service? Well, I, 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 I really, I'm, I'm looking very hard at this, this whole question, uh, certainly of, of global peace. Hmm. I, I'm looking with, with great concern about the nature of this country in the immediate future. Are we about, are we on the verge of, of allowing the, con- the uh, Constitution to simply become uh, uh, something for the archives? Hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm looking at what happens in the transition of society if, if we really, when you see the number of working families that we have in this society, I cannot believe that having created the entire industrial movement, we can't create another kind of work schedule and uh, a work paradigm that can't make it easier for parents to be parents and children uh, to grow with a sense of continuing adult presence. We love to look back to the 40s and the way families went together then, but the families didn't destroy that. What happened is that we moved into an urban environment for the sake of of, uh, the, and, and under the aegis of the industrial and the technological revolution. So now we have communication coming out our ears and we don't know how to communicate. It's causing us more problems than anything else. We've got to look at uh, social media, and we have to ask ourselves whether or not we really believe that the dignity of of, uh, humanity in this country will be served by a politics of name-calling and the exclusion of certain classes of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are my questions, and they're serious ones. if if, uh, if if this kind of prejudice and and fear continues, I think I think we're bartering with the center of the nation. Yeah, yeah. What uh what advice would you give to your younger self? To my younger self, oh, that's a, that's a that's a great question. <laughs> um, uh, you know what I'd say? I'd say you know what, girl. Uh, you you just you just go right ahead now. You just <laughs> all these questions and you keep up all that reading, and you stay out on those streets and you love those people and you're going to be fine. Well, well, that's that's the part of you that I love. I I, I just love your um, your presence. It's it's been such a joy to watch. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking this time to chat with us. Um, so, so I have to tell you something, Ashton. Yeah. I, I, I didn't know it. I didn't know it until until you came along and I and I began to study your work. And you are doing what I was trying to say less well in my in my last answer. Hmm. You're allowing uh, a, a a conversation about concepts that that somehow are, are more interested in exploring the issue than attacking people. Mm. And I can't thank you enough for that. God bless you. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, 
my cup fills with gratitude um, to share this time with you. I guess uh, if, if our listeners want to follow you and your work, uh, joanchittister.org, is that the best place you would direct them, or, or where would you have our listeners go find you? That's good. joanchittister.org, and, uh, uh, well, I have a column in uh, the National Catholic Reporter, and that's NCR online.org, but joanchillister.org would lead you to all those things. Beautiful. Now, I've, I've never done this on an interview before, so this is kind of shooting from the hip. Um, but okay. so we, we, the concept here, this let the music play is we know it is a noisy world, but we want to be, we want to be part of the music, right? We want to bring more love, more peace, more kindness yeah. into, into the conversation. Um, for, for our listeners, would you leave us with a word of encouragement? Would you, would you leave us with almost like a benediction of some sort, um, just, yeah. just uh, in, in only the way you can do it. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, in a sense, I think that's what I was leading up to without yeah. knowing it in, in my last statement to you. I, I, I ask, uh, I see you as, as doing a, a blessed and blessing thing. I see you as calling this country and its people to a new respect for one another's questions and the ability and the willingness to sit down and answer them together. I see you making a contribution to, to the development of the American intellectual and spiritual commitment to be really Americans in the best sense of the world. I don't want to make uh, America great again. I want to make America, America again. And I think what you're doing in this program is giving me a great deal of hope. And I ask God's blessing on you and your listeners, because if they're listening to you, Ashton, they're already deciding to live like that. God bless you all. Wow. Sister Joan, grace and peace. I am so thankful for you. Um, and I know it took us a long time to make this work, but I, I hope you can feel a big hug from me down here in Texas. I do. And it, it makes my day, Ashton. I mean it. This was a wonderful conversation with you. Thank you for allowing and enabling that. Okay, Sister Joan. Thanks so much. You can stream this episode and all other episodes of Let the Music Play podcast, both in iTunes and at AshtonGustafson.com. If you have enjoyed these conversations and they have brought joy, peace, and resilience to your life, we ask that you would go to iTunes and leave a review. Our hope is to share these voices and conversations with as many people as we can. And by leaving a review, you will be helping this light make its way into the world. Thank you for entrusting us with your time. We know it's your most precious resource, and we are so grateful to have you join us as we do our little part in helping humanity tune up into a beautiful and lovely song. And so as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. <laughs>